Hello and welcome to the Book of Leaves podcast. My name is Cara and I am your host. Hello and thank you for joining me for episode 52 of Book of Leaves with Ornina Duel from the Native Woodland Trust. It is so lovely to have you here. I am sending you this podcast episode all the way from sunny Italy. It is very strange to have left the country, but I'll actually be over here for a couple of weeks working on my podcast, working on some activism projects and catching up on a lot of life admin work um, and then doing some working remotely from home home jobs as well to to get me through it but it is very strange to not be in Ireland I have to say and um, I'm actually missing out on so many protests that I really wish I was home for but I am very lucky to be able to be over here and um, I offset all of my travelling with Vita which is an Irish charity based in Eritrea in Ethiopia so if you or anyone you know as we are now allowed to take um, holidays and whatnot abroad if you are doing such a thing by boat, train, whatever methods you're you're using, please do make sure to offset the carbon. And we have a whole episode 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 dedicated to that and um, with Vita. So I'll link that in the show notes. Considering people are getting their, I guess, all their holiday fixes now recently. Um. So this episode, we're going to be talking about trees shockingly for the first time since Book of Leaves' inception. Even though Leaves is in the name of this, I've never actually dedicated a whole episode to someone who has dedicated their life to trees. And uh, Orla, she works for the Native Woodland Trust and has a podcast by them called The Broadleaf that I listen to and it's really, really good and they interview tree experts and hobbyists and mostly experts, not people like me who don't really know an awful lot about anything but little bits about everything. For anyone, if this is your first time listening to this, I am an actor, I work in retail, I do loads of different jobs and pretty much that. Jack of all trades, master of none and I'm just really, really passionate about the environment and I love this podcast, I do it as a hobby and I I love it so much and... Yeah, I'd love this to be my full-time job, but sure, look, maybe one day we'll get there. But thank you for tuning in. I will hand it over to Orla if you would like to support this podcast. I do have a Patreon account, patreon.com forward slash book of leaves, or you can support one off um, if you do like what you're hearing and you can't obviously financially contribute like regularly. That's totally okay. And it's totally okay if you can do either. Um, But if you are able to, it would be greatly appreciated. It would go towards the podcast hosting fees and then I've got a couple of different um, software programs for editing both the videos that I put on social media and whatnot so you can do that on Acast or buymeacoffee.com this is a hobby and I spent oh I don't want to think about how many hours probably probably like 15 hours an episode on this but that's that's Mostly my fault because I don't really know what I'm doing. So again, if anyone has any podcast sound editing suggestions, send them my way. But yes, I will hand it over to Orla. Thank you so much for tuning in. Don't forget to rate, share, review, all that kind of lark. Share it with a friend. And everything is mentioned in the show notes. Go support Native Woodland Trust and hug a tree because why not? All right. 
Orla, thank you so much for joining the Book of Leaves podcast. It is lovely to have you here. I am a fan of the Broadleaf, your podcast, which I would have talked about in the intro of this episode. But for anyone who doesn't listen to that or doesn't know you personally, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, who you are? Yeah, well, thanks for having me on, obviously. Um, I'm Orla. I work for the Native Woodland Trust and As part of that, I make the Broadleaf podcast where I talk to different people about their work that's connected to sometimes tangentially to woodlands and woodland species. Uh, Just to get that broader, that's the pun perspective on how, you know, anyone working in the field, how they might, you know, conceive of or what projects they might get involved in. I'm from Dublin originally. I'm I'm from uh, North Dublin and I live out um, in Ackle at the minute. So that was a big transition oh my god wow <laughs> going to the yeah. island life <laughs> island life living the island life now um and also because there's no this is the joke that a lot of people that know know me online were, were slagging me when I moved because I moved to a place that has functionally no trees um <laughs> there 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 are basically no trees here um but I'm working on it and uh yeah no it's uh my background's a bit eclectic I didn't really come originally from a science background I I worked in in the arts um and I was uh involved in like theater and 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 poetry and and circus and that sort of thing and then I I don't know I had like a really early onset midlife crisis and um went back to college to uh to retrain in, in environmental conservation and yeah then just been doing that ever since and it's it's been been a weird couple of years but I uh, I love it <laughs> amazing oh my god there's so many questions running through my head I didn't know you came from the arts industry as well I feel I kind of feel like the mid-life crisis or quarter-life whatever it is that you're talking about because I studied in the arts and then I'm like is that enough I'm not doing enough like so you do the podcast and then I'm like I can sense like another college course coming on um so fair play for taking the plunge and doing that that's class and I've so many good memories from Ackle but that is so funny because it does have like practically no trees so I'm looking forward to seeing what happens um and what was it then that made you go back to doing environmental conservation I mean were you always kind of environmentally aware or did something kind of happen some trigger that I was in a way like my my parents were so that was you know sort of an easy thing for me because I was I was raised you know in a recycling household in a hill walking household and a household that had you know plants and you know that was just like constantly part of the life so you didn't have to like work very hard to be aware like I wasn't some grand thing I managed to do it was just my environment um but I had sort of drifted away from it a little bit in my in my teens and um probably just part of that I think there was this I I talked to someone about it once this when you're a teenager and you have to like work really hard to like let people know who you are and you know so you have to like your identity cannot be in any way fuzzy it has to be you have to be this you're this thing so I was the queer theater kid so I couldn't like science like literally I honestly think it was like that sometimes it was like you just make a decision about yourself and then a couple of years later you're like god teenagers so dumb yeah but it's I think it's interesting though it's good to go through that those phases but yeah I get I get to the end of a a four-year undergraduate degree that I knew I wasn't necessarily going to follow up with anything I just had no idea what I was going to do and also you know I I just assumed I was going to work in theater so I just thought well this is a backup degree anyway this is just because it's sensible to have a degree but 
all the time I was studying, I was doing all this other stuff. And then I got to the end of it um, and I, I just wasn't clicking. Nothing was clicking. And I was like, okay, it's Dublin. Dublin is the problem. So I moved to Edinburgh and I was like, I'm going to get into the art scene here. It's amazing art scene in Edinburgh. There is an amazing art scene in Edinburgh. Yeah. Um, and it, and I, and I got there and I was like, nope, no, it wasn't Dublin. <laughs> oh no. Uh, and I, I started volunteering because I just thought, you know, what used to make me happy? I don't know, trees. And it was literally, it was almost as childish as that. It was just like, okay, that used to kind of make me happy. I'll just look into it and then wow. maybe something will come out of it. And I started, you know, volunteering with this environmental charity over there. And, you know, when it was, I'd done that for a while. I was like, okay, I can, I can go home and sort myself out now. You know? Oh God, <laughs> Tree, trees are calling me. I'm going to go. Yeah, I'll just, this is all right. Okay. All right. I figured it out. Let's. Amazing. Okay. So now you work for the national or the native, sorry, the native woodland trust. Um, so can you explain what it is they do for people who might not know I mean you can hazard a guess but like it'd be good yeah, to know specific probably something to do with woodlands um <laughs> yeah so functionally it's a it's a charity set up to protect and restore Irish uh woodlands and so one of the most important things that the trust does is purchase land hopefully with bits little scraps of old woodland that are remaining on them where there's space to let that expand you know, we do also purchase greenfield sites for tree planting, but mostly it's about protecting these sites as reserves for nature and for biodiversity. And in the cases of the old woodlands that we own, then also seed collection. So we have tree nurseries. So we grow on then saplings from those that those seed stores, because one of the things that often isn't taken into account with a lot of the like more recent, there's sort of been a an idea about tree planting and native trees in the like popular culture in the last few years, um, which is fantastic. But the problem with that, like with when there was a lot of stuff about pollinators and people wanted to do like seed bombing, but actually half the seed bombs that they were buying were full of invasive species. Mm. So it was like really well intentioned, but it was like coming from this perspective where they didn't understand the science behind the problem. Yeah. Um, and that can happen with, with trees as well. But, you know, the people are planting non-native trees, but even when they're planting native trees, they're planting something which is the same species but maybe it's not from Ireland and the genetic makeup of that tree is different and it's not acclimatized to our environment it isn't resistant to the same pests and diseases there's all sorts of reasons why the more local you can get your seed sources to where you want to plant the better because trees have spent hundreds and hundreds of years figuring that stuff out for themselves um so we don't need to figure it out they've got it you know so that's sort of by just as simple as that, just not going too far, trying to get your seed source as close to possible from the source, you're you're just fixing that problem straight away. And so that's one of the things that we do. Amazing. Okay. So as a charity then, people can obviously like support directly. Um and yeah, well, there's a few different ways. So obviously, you know, if you just want to give us a bunch of money, that's fine too. <laughs> just throw a bunch of money at us. We're not gonna say no. But there's um so you can dedicate trees, say to like a loved one on our reserves um, or sponsor a tree that way um, you can also join as a member so members get sent out you know there are certain events that are membership only or there um, you can be part of our AGM and so you had set the direction of the charity um, and there's a magazine goes out four times a year called Woodland which goes to all, all our members um, so that's another way um, then there will be volunteering 
events that's often things like tree planting um or litter picking or seed collection we often put the call out for people for seed collection especially if there's something that's really time sensitive so really recently we had a big prop uh, project on elms so obviously elms are really endangered in ireland native elms because of dutch elm disease so very few surviving old elm trees there are new elm trees that have been brought in but if you see a very old elm tree what's interesting there is it's possibly resistant um, to the pests that cause elm disease. Mm. So what we did this year, basically, if you had an old el- witch elm in your area, to just go out and collect as many as possible. And we have just just hundreds and hundreds of elm saplings now from this. Wow. And what we'll be able to see over time, it's a long-term project, is how many of them are resistant to Dutch elm disease, which then you're able to go out there and replant with these resistant strains and you're increasing the level of resistance in the population generally. Brilliant. That's so cool. You talked about it there about people kind of wanting to plant trees. And I guess, you know, it's one of the things that we always talk about in the climate crisis. You know, we need to plant more trees, save the trees and people have good intentions and go out and try to do that. But apparently you do actually need to be careful. Not every tree is going to grow like in the land that you have or it has to be the right type of tree you have to get it from the right place so let's start with where, where would you recommend people go to then for those local saplings or seeds well the thing about seed collection actually I'm currently writing a piece of the magazine on this is that local seed collection is great it's fantastic but we're always very cautious when we're talking about it because for one thing on, on in many cases you actually need a license um, for seed collection now if you pick up an acorn two acorns the NPWS isn't going to be swooping down oh on God, you. Oh, guys, I've been breaking the law. <laughs> Quick run. But the idea is it's to stop someone who wants to plant 50, 100, 150 trees sure. from collecting far too many seeds from an area. There's a balance you always need to strike with anything with foraging. And this is the, you know, the problem with foraging has become very popular as well. It's, it's great, but within reason. But yeah, there's, there's just regular finding ways that you can seed collect in your local area. There are also nurseries in Ireland that, do pay attention to provenance that you can search out for that'll be in your local area. So there'll be certain small nurseries in your area may grow from local provenance. And that's something you can look into because then they're going to be growing them on to bare root trees or small saplings for you that maybe would be healthier than you trying to, to do. If you're not a experienced gardener, then you trying to grow everything from seed yourself. Mm. Um, but in terms of what you should plant and where, yeah, it is hugely hugely depends and there's nothing i can say right now that will give anyone some blanket answer to how to figure that out there just yeah. isn't one every single place is different there are places where maybe it's not a good idea to plant trees for various reasons um you know on bogs you know if you have a really rich flower rich meadow like that also serves a really important function maybe you don't necessarily need to transition that to woodland um unless it looks like it's doing it already in which case you just let it happen and you don't need to do anything uh you know so it's that kind of issue but i mean it's one of the problems when you're <laughs> you got a tiktok recently for the trust um oh, i know we're, we're all like i'm very young and hip i'm sorry um <laughs> we're down with it you guys <laughs> yeah i'm down with the young folk we're the only there's two irish environmental ngos on Twitter. it's just us in the seal sanctuary on tiktok hanging out oh brilliant <laughs> just just us and the seals vibing and so when um when all the teens were finished cyberbullying me um the most common question that we get asked is like 
I have an acre of land. What should I do with it? And I'm like, I can't answer that question for you. I don't know where you live. And yeah. I don't think you should tell me because I'm a stranger on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> are there any resources, any um, or books or people that are, are good? I guess, like, who, who do you go to or who do you ask if you want to find out that stuff? Do you just find some kind of tree person? <laughs> That's your job. I can't even think of the name. Arthur? <laughs> yeah. um it it depends it depends on the scale of what you're doing so if you want to put a few trees in your garden then actually in some ways a gardening resource is your way to go because even though it's not focused on it from environmental purposes if you know you've seen a list online there are only about 26 27 native tree species in ireland um so you you just look at the the things that are trees trees as opposed to shrubby trees um you just look at that list and look at a gardening book and that's that's your best advice because it's going to tell you things about you know small spaces and shade and things that are relevant to you that are not going to be relevant to someone with say an acre field that they're trying to plant up. Like those are two very different things. Yeah. But if say you have a bit of land and you're trying to plant up maybe a whole field, a couple of acres, then you're best looking at someone like Chagask because they're going to be giving advice for people with larger amounts of land. Also, if you're putting up a couple of acres of woodland, you're going to be eligible for schemes like the Native Woodland Scheme. And there's going to be payments, there's going to be advice, there's going to be ecologists and foresters that are licensed as part of, you know, the state that can can give you that advice and can point you in the best direction for your land specifically that are going to do assessments. And so that's kind of, they're just, they're very different ways to do it. Amazing. Yeah, well, those, those are some good um, options and avenues there for the various ways people might want to go about planting trees. But why should we plant trees? We haven't even got to that yet. So we know what we want to do. But um, trees are brilliant. I read a book in the last year called A Hidden Life of Trees. Um, oh, that's a good one. It is. It blew my friggin' mind. And I haven't been able to look at a tree the same way since... And yeah, I, they're just amazing. So, but let's hear it from you. Well, I like them a lot. So <laughs> they're pretty. Reason, pretty. They're pretty, pretty. I like them a lot. So you should probably just do it. No, I mean, here's the problem with why. There's actually a problem with why. Okay. Is the why can actually change how people do it. And I actually, so I approach this with actually a bit of caution. Because if say someone says climate change, big important we're all there I'm, I'm going to plant as many trees as possible for climate change it, it, it doesn't quite work like you can't just sort of do the maths of x trees live x amount of time within 100 years bring down one turn of carbon per tree per you know 300 trees one acre five acres and do your maths of what you, it doesn't work because there's just too many variables and you're not going to get what you want from that so if you go into it with that mentality you're going to grow trees in a way the trees aren't naturally trying to grow and you're still not going to square that circle mathematically of carbon. So the best thing you can do is just think of it as ecosystems, restoring ecosystems, letting kind of nature do its own thing. So you are, you know, there are times where you plant the tree. There's also a lot of times where you just stop trees from being able to not regenerate. So trees in Ireland grow quite quickly. They, they grow quite easily. Um, so if you just fence off an area from grazing, things just start to grow if there's anything nearby from it to seed from. The only time you need to plant is where there are places in Ireland, and there are places in Ireland, that are so denuded of trees that there's no way for it to naturally regenerate. So you've got to go in there and kick things off a little mm. bit. 
you know, you, you're sort of jump starting the area. But a lot of the time, literally all you need is to just give it the time and space and, and things will take care of themselves. And you get trees growing much more naturally. You get them growing healthier. We're still learning so much about them. We're still learning so much about forest ecosystems. They're incredibly complex. We have serious issues with biosecurity in Ireland where people are bringing in trees where they're not even necessarily invasive species, the trees themselves, but they aren't native trees or they're, they're oaks or whatever, but they're you know, from nurseries abroad that have pests we don't, or none of our trees have resistances to because they're not checked. I mean, we nearly had a very serious outbreak of what's called oak processionary moth last year. Now, it doesn't seem, it seems to have just been one instance and it looks like it was taken care of. Haven't heard anyone else talk about them. But not only would this species have been hugely damaging to our oaks, but the caterpillars are quite toxic (laughs) to humans. And there's nobody, and it was just, you know, one of these things where like, oh, that's that's fine. It's fine that we brought these into the country and we didn't trace it back and there's no public transparency as to where this came from. That's fine. Oh my God. Yeah. So, I mean, I think there's just the why has to be because it has to happen. Because like, for example, one of the things that I, you know, try to convince people of is planting trees along uplands watercourses. Because I say to people, look, if you, it's not even good land, you're not losing anything, but you're, you know, the water quality downstream is going to be a million times better. Less it's going to be less flooding. Flood. Yeah. You know, everything, it's going to just do things for you. And that's true. But it doesn't convince as many people as you think. And it ultimately, if that's like when I, it has convinced a few people, they've done it in a way that is poor. And then they go, trees don't grow up in the uplands in Ireland. I'm like, yes, they do. <laughs> you just can't, you just put out three, you know, little flimsy bear roots you got from a garden center. And then you ignored them and let sheep eat them. And you were like, mm, guess trees don't grow here. Oh, yeah. And it's, you know, so that's why I'm always cautious of the why. Sure. Okay, that makes that does make sense because we are we're we are terrible devils for only doing things that benefit us and then thinking this is the good thing, so let's go out and do it in the manny and you end up just building like a monoculture of trees. But like forests and ecosystems are so intricate. I interviewed Mary Reynolds, um, who has her kind of building an arc kind of thing, and she's all she her thing is let the land just you're the guardian you're not a gardener just let the land do its own thing and then if you need to guide it if it's like going in the kind of the wrong direction do that but like she doesn't even really advocate unless it's really needed going in and kind of planting trees or whatever um but yes the the absolute wildness of when I say wild I'm actually talking about the like amazingness (laughs) of like what forests can do how trees can talk to each other in a way how they send each other nutrients like they can sense if there's like a sick tree they help the tree if that one tree is getting attacked by that moth pest then they send out like pheromones is that what they're called to to warn other trees what's going on and like there's been so little studies as well on the effects on like human health but there was that a study in South Korea where they saw like people walking through a healthy forest their blood pressure and everything lowered like there's just this whole other world that we can't even fathom like we can't even understand let alone the fact that their waste product is what we need to survive i.e oxygen they 
supply us with something I really wish I had in Florence right now. Now I'm being selfish now because I'm like, I really wish, but like, I'm so grateful to be in Florence, but there is not a single tree in the, it's all, there is no trees anywhere. And anytime I see like a little park, I'm like, get me under the trees because they're so, the air is so much cooler. It's just so much cooler. They regulate temperature. They're better for flood prevention if there was more trees on streets it's just better for your mental health and then yeah just the trees could be homes for birds there's so many reasons why trees are great um what do you think this is just coming to my head now about the thing in cork where they put in the three particle filtering things did you see oh, that right yes 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 the robo tree thing yes yeah, some some um, people were like was, giving out but, but the issue isn't environmental in that context because the thing is right moss is fantastic and one of the things that i talk about in terms of forest ecosystems are complicated like trees are the keystone species but what makes a forest is you know, the epiphytes and bryophytes and things like moss and lichen. And What are epiphytes and bryophytes? Oh, sorry. Bryophytes are like mosses and lichens. Oh, okay. um, and epiphytes are anything that grows on top of another thing. Okay. Like, you know, when you see ferns like growing out of the crack of a tree? Yeah. That's an epiphytic fern. Okay. Sorry, like, you're talking to uh, like <laughs> a dum-dum here. So. <laughs> but, you know, there's, it's, there's also a lot going on. And so like, you know, like why I say that a tree that grows on its own rather than being planted is is often healthier is because like they have these like complex fungal like partners basically in their root systems that will happen naturally in the soil when they like come out of the tree but if you've brought them from another place and they're often like the roots are going to be rinsed in the garden centers because they need to make sure there aren't pests but that means they don't have that and they're often therefore weaker so there is, it's not that moss isn't great it is and so these robo trees have a certain like the science behind them is fine right so that's not really the problem like I you know it's like there's actually nothing wrong with them just from a, an air pollution point of view they make scientific sense yeah so the point of these sorry for any listeners who might not know there was three robo tree things like um big wooden rectangular boxes put in Cork City to filter particles like polluted particles from the air um and they're supposed to do the work of several hundred trees or something like that so that's for anyone who is abroad that are like what are robo trees what's happening in Ireland yeah and it's got like they're filled and and we call them robo trees which is the joke but I mean they're mostly moss based it's it is actually they are organic but the problem here is not that that's not you know that they're not very interesting and on on that level but they're very expensive and so I think what people were angry about like there were some people who just didn't seem to really understand. They thought like these were replacing all the trees were in Cork, which I think some people got like, oh God, is that like they're going to take out all the trees and put in these things, which would have been obviously very bad. But no, it was just, there are only three of them. They're just, and they're all, they're all together. It's in one spot in the mm. middle of Cork. So it's not like it even takes up a lot of space, but they're hugely expensive. And I think people just felt in the current climate in Ireland with everything going on, you know, you just like, really? <laughs> we wanted to spend hundreds of thousands on there's going to be a lot of interesting projects to do with introducing moss into urban environments, you know, in ways that absorb water, in ways that absorb particulates, because it's particularly great for, it's, it's not just like carbon or that sort of thing. It's, it's the heavy metals and particulate matter that you get in a city that's most damaging to your health. And in Ireland, it's particularly bad. I mean, not just in the cities, but even in rural Ireland, where you think, well, okay, there's way less, there's way less industry, there's way less cars, like why would it still be bad? Because like peat burning is one of the most particulate heavy 
forms of fuel in the world. It's the most damaging to lungs and respiratory systems because it's so it's a really thick particulate when it's when it's burning mm. in the smoke. So like we and coincidentally, Ireland has very high levels of hereditary respiratory conditions. So there, you know, those are things that will probably have to be talked about in coming years. And I think when you introduce it in this way, in a way that gets people's backs up, people are going to just go, no, this is awful. And anything to do with this is awful. And I never want to talk about it again because you're trying to replace trees. And I'm like, well, okay, but they're not, you know, it doesn't have to be like that. It doesn't have to be one or the other because there are places in a city that aren't like there are going to be places in a city that aren't suitable for a tree. But when you have something that's a bit like out there that people aren't used to, and it's like everything else is going on, you just, you have to present it in a way that doesn't make people hate you. Yeah. And the same thing happens all the time in the environmental sector, because you're coming at things that are a little out there, you know, people don't necessarily know a lot about. And a lot of the time, like especially outside of Dublin, thing anything to do with environmental conservation, anything to do with environmental action at all comes across elitist comes across for other people comes across that way that's a perception so if you come in tone deaf and go bam my brilliant idea and you know people on the ground are not with you they don't know you they don't know what you're talking about you're going to get people's backs up and it happens again and again and so like the robo tree one was a very funny example but like it happens on a smaller scale all over the country where like people with good intentions end up in these big conflicts because they just don't have the capacity to like bring people with them mm. yeah that's this is very true yeah it's a it can be a very like middle class approach as well a lot of the time and you need to we just need to be a bit more inclusive and aware um in everything that we do but um yeah I was just curious as to what you thought about that now we actually haven't talked about what the story with trees as a whole in Ireland is I mean we nowadays right the Amazon is going on fire and everyone's like oh my god we gotta save the lungs of the earth um which are I would argue was also the ocean which absorbs gives us awful lot of oxygen but basically like the pressure is really on the Amazon right now because (laughs) Europeans have destroyed everything else as far as I know so we used to be have like loads of forestry and Ireland was like as far as I know a really well forested country and now we've just forgotten we don't like all we know now is you know gorsy hills and green fields and the occasional forest but like what is the story with our little green isle okay well what's what you need to understand about Ireland in terms of biodiversity is this it's younger ecologically than a lot of places because we were under ice for longer than most places that aren't still currently under ice um, after the last ice age. So we only came out from under the ice 10,000 years ago. That's mad. And it's it's not the, mad. It's think just not it's that just long mad. ago. Yeah. Um, in, in, in ecological time, it's just, not, it's just not very long ago at all. And humans arrived here really, like you're talking like maybe within a couple of thousand years of there being living plants on the island, humans arrived. So there really wasn't, there's this myth that there was this time of, of the island that where we had these things, but there were no people. It, it was such a short space of time before. Like, so our ecosystems and humans have continuously been internet connected. There really isn't some magical, pristine version of Ireland that, that really didn't ever exist. The magical, pristine version of Ireland was tundra. 
like ice as soon as the ice sheets first and glaciers first moved on like that was what happened right afterwards um but within a really a couple of thousand years you do have forests and at, at the height of forests in ireland i mean you're talking about 80 percent land cover of the island roughly and then that went down quite a bit in a short space of time up into the neolithic and um the bronze age but there was also a climate change happening at the time because again this is very soon after the ice age so there was this kind of like rapid warming and then it kind of leveled out and there was this all this kind of going on with the climate at that time that meant that some things were just changing anyway and that led to some um loss of trees like for scots pine scots pine went nearly extinct nearly regionally extinct in ireland it leveled out then the deforestation and we still we are a very forested country up into the medieval period um and you can tell this from the place names um, you can tell this from um, medieval manuscripts, uh, medieval Irish poetry, especially the monastic poetry is very focused on like being in the woods and all this kind of like, it's a really recurring theme of like, you go into the woods to be closer to God and it's like those sort of things. So that's like a big part of the early Celtic church. But by the time the first ever complete map of Ireland, one of the first complete maps in the world, which was the Down Survey, um, which is a really important resource which was unfortunately made um, in order to parcel out land for soldiers who fought for Cromwell. That old guy. So by then, yeah, by then, um, woodland in Ireland was hugely reduced. So we think the biggest period of deforestation happened between um, sort of the 1400s and the 1600s. Um, There was 200 years there, which now British shipbuilding gets a lot of the blame, but there was also a rapidly expanding population, a mostly agricultural population, uh there was a lot going on people always want to blame the brits though come on we always want (laughs) they make it really easy for you um (laughs) but yes no historically speaking i mean it did play a role obviously the exporting of timber from ireland did play did play a role but it wasn't the only thing happening of course um but even in 1602 you still see along rivers along valleys there's very still this interconnected ribbons Oh, far. So the forest just kept going down, 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 then from then to the point where, as it turned into the 20th century from the 19th century, there was less than 1% land cover of trees in Ireland. So when you say that this is all people know, you're really not messing around. It is all the people know. That's mad, isn't it? That I didn't, um, didn't realise how young of an island it was. But yeah, we haven't had trees for so, for so, so long. And what are are I know ancient inverted commas do we have any like yeah we do we do woodlands yeah so Killarney is is the most easily provable Killarney Oakwoods um and Killarney Yew Woods there in the national park there are trees there there's an elder tree there that was recently um a core pollen sample was taken from its roots by um Dr Aileen Sullivan who I think works for Quilcha in the last few years found finding alder pollen going back nine thousand years so <sighs> that is a site in which that those that forest not those trees obviously but that forest is that the pollen is important no individual tree is that old but the forest as a whole that is does has existed okay i'm we, learning so a they're lot. Not the only it's not the only that's there's been the most study done on killarney so that's the thing that scientifically you can say this is ancient woodland um, now, it, it doesn't get the title primeval woodland, which it would if it had never been coppiced or used 
in any way for human intervention if it has been left alone. How does that um, so differ places, from ancient as in like the, it's just ancient is just the alone. length of time it's been there. Right. Okay. But if it was ever, you know, coppiced and, and used for forestry, it doesn't hugely change it biologically, but it does in some cases. And so that's just a, it's a minor distinction, but it is an ancient forest. And then there's St. John's Wood in Ross Common is also considered ancient. Now it's much smaller than Killarney, but it's it's still beautiful. We have a site. It's a really, really beautiful part of the country. It's it's near Lockery and it's there's like a medieval settlement just down the road. And we have another site where we have a, a nurse, we're building a nursery to grow on seeds from. And then there's old woodlands, which are things we can prove have been there 250 years. And those are way easier to prove because that's when the first ordnance survey maps were done of our life. Ah, ah, yes. So, you know, you just, is it on the map? Good, tick, job done. So it, and it's not that none of those forests didn't, may have also been part of older forests. Like we have a place, Arden, from sources from that abbey, there was obviously a big medieval abbey in Duras where the Book of Duras was made, where the names of all that area all refers to oak. In fact, most of the place names there all refer to oak. So Dura refers to oak. And there's a few other areas around there too. And that plain was likely mostly forest at one point. Now, can we say for sure that this little bit that we have was ever part of this? No. But even though it's only counted as old woodland, it's like a little remnant of something that would have once been a much bigger. Okay. So we've got old forests as well. That's really cool. And I'm adding like, I haven't seen very many of these places at all, which is terrible. So I definitely need to get my boots on and do some forest walking and forest bathing. Um, oh, there's a great book. Anyway, his surname is Magna. I can't remember his first name. And he wrote Stopping by Woods. It's just a book. It's just a, basically a guidebook to all the woodlands in Ireland. Oh, really good. Yeah, I'm not, I need to, I need to definitely um, learn more about the Irish trees. Um, now, before we move towards the end, you mentioned earlier about if people had like, farmers had like lots of land that there is grants available and whatnot. Now, I, I'm not sure of the exact figure. I think it's something like over 70% of land in Ireland is used for um, animal agriculture. So like, it is like a huge chunk and those kind of grants are really important but like is there anything systemically else that needs to change or that needs to happen to help so in terms of actual forests there are there are two main things first is a change in style for for quilcha which is happening uh, allegedly changing the species mix changing the felling practices um they currently still use an awful lot of pesticides they spray it from the air so it's a, not a great Who way are of applying quilcha? pesticides for Sorry, Quilcha are the um, forestry service for Ireland. They do commercial forestry. So they're, they are a for-profit entity. And so sometimes people level accusations at them that are unfair because they're like, well, they are a for-profit entity. They're not, uh, they're not the par- Parks and Wildlife Service. They're a totally different thing with an almost you know, divergent uh, mandate. And so that's you know, fair enough. And we do need forestry. We need commercial forestry. We need timber especially in terms of like climate change, if we're talking about like sustainable building practices, reducing our reliance on steel and concrete and improving the mix of of timber and building, that's something that we're going to have to do as well. So we do need good timber, but we don't grow good timber. We grow Sitka spruce, which is basically just used to make pallets. Um, So, (laughs) you know, it is what it is. Well, we grow other things, but 
sitka spruce is a lot of it it's not yeah. it's not a valuable wood so the changing that dynamic changing the the, the pesticide use practices and, and where things are planted because things are often planted in, in inappropriate places because quilch is the largest landowner in the country by quite a way um so if when we're talking about who has the most responsibility firstly the state always has the most responsibility before the individuals. If you own the most land in the country, then by that logic, you are also the most responsible for what you do with it mm-hmm. um, before you turn around to some random farmer with you know a few hundred sheep. But then, yes, in terms of farmers, there's um, two things for farmers you could do. A reform of CAP that um, did away with the idea of unproductive land. So unproductive land is the biggest problem in terms of any farmer who genuinely wants to do any kind of biodiversity project on their farm but also just people like a lot of places wild places in ireland that were just poor land so no one bothered them because why would you bother putting you you couldn't do anything with them so it was let go it was just let be and so you got like these remnants for species that were really important like these little refuges because they were just left alone because it wasn't good land um but now if you own that it's every bit of unproductive land is deducted from your farm payments so you are punished for every piece of bad land you have. That's so bad. And so this becomes a serious issue if suddenly now, you know, wet areas are being drained, little bits of little cops of woodland, hedgerows, everything being removed because all of it counts towards unproductive land. And so we're asking people to individually, their families to bear the cost of a policy that they have no say in. And then we've got the native woodland scheme, which is totally unconnected to CAP. So it doesn't cancel out that problem. So if you take up the native woodland scheme, which is fantastic in its conception, which is the idea that you're paid to just have this woodland, you're paid, it's seen as a service you're providing to create a woodland and keep it on your land. And so you're given certain overheads, both to, to maintenance of it and, like, and to cover the fact that you've given away basically part of your land to this public good. But the payments are lower, significantly lower than you would get doing a commercial enterprise on that land. So someone has to be quite passionate to do it. Like if they're just trying to make a living, it doesn't make financial sense for them to do this, especially if it also not only are they not getting as much money as they would if it was commercial land, it now no longer counts to their farm payments they get from the EU. And until it makes financial sense for farmers to do this, the fact that we're all sitting around going, I can't believe they're not doing this, it just seems kind of silly, you know? Yeah, no, CAP was it was a huge issue. Yeah, I think CAP is, that fight is lost on this this budget. It's a seven-year budget. Um, but the problem is with something like CAP is it's always hard to get something small like that, no matter how important change, because there are seven bazillion parts to CAP negotiated across 27 countries, all of whom have different priorities and needs. And so these th- sometimes you don't get what you want, and that's okay, fair enough. But what the Irish state could do, because you can't fix that necessarily, this affects us more than it would affect some other country Mm. because most countries don't have agriculture in as marginal land as Ireland does. So we're going to have a payment that just offsets the difference, which is a national payment. And it Mm. wouldn't be against the rules and it wouldn't, they wouldn't have to fix all of cap. They wouldn't have to fight all of Europe. They just fix it. Okay. We'll just fix it domestically because this is a small thing that affects us more than everyone else, but let's just fix this. And they could do that and they don't. So well, I nominate Orla for Taoiseach, so <laughs> just get in there and fix this. <laughs> Amazing. We've talked about so much there, and I'm wary of time. There, I'm going to link like the Native Woodland Trust and like all the other things that we talked about. Um, is there anything else you want to mention, or your final kind of takeaway for people before we move on to some random questions? 
know. I think it's ultimately getting interested and getting passionate about things. You're never going to know everything. You're never going to be an expert in everything. So you don't have to be the best informed person in the world. And so you shouldn't have to be afraid to get involved because you think, oh, I can't, I don't know enough and I can't do enough and I'm not important enough because you know, no one is, you know, nobody is, but all you can be is interested. And when, you know, when someone knocks on your door the next time there's an election, you ask them what they're doing for biodiversity and you, you make sure, you know, just enough to tell when they're bullshitting you, which, you know, was you know, it's going to have statistically just say happen. it anyway. They probably are. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just, you know, but, and be challenging, be challenging, be engaged. And you don't have to, you know, you, you can't, nobody's responsible for saving the whole world on their own, but everyone can at least say, okay, when the doorbell rang, I did this. Yeah. That's really lovely. That's really lovely. And I also actually love um, what you said at the start about you don't need to be an expert at anything because I am exhibit A. <laughs> I like trees. I don't know anything about them. Um, but no, I love that. Okay, so what we're going to do now is to close off, we're just going to ask some random questions. You can give environmental answers, tree answers or absolutely random answers. Doesn't matter. Um, do you want to give me your first letter? Uh, oh, Oh, share something about the natural world that you find awe-inspiring. This is a dumb answer because I can't think of a serious one. Okay. Um, but my favorite thing that I learned about, about bumblebees when I, I got um, first came back to Ireland, I was working on, on bumblebee monitoring. And my, and my favorite thing I learned about bumblebees is that their favorite color is purple. That's so cute. Yeah, That's, I like, love that. They preface purple flowers a lot of the time. Their favorite color is purple. It has something to do with how their eyes see light or something. That's a great little awe-inspiring thing. Their favorite color is purple. I could cry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Give us another letter, Orla. Uh, v. V. What would you wish for with three wishes? Could be for yourself or the world. Doesn't matter. Oh, God. All right. Okay. Well, okay. I'm on Ackle. So I'm going to say... Just the just magically all the gunnera disappears. What's that? Um, gunnera is this invasive species that I spend a lot of my time standing up to my knees in a stream with an axe trying to remove. Okay. So yeah, that's one of the invasive species for Ireland. Um, that's quite it's particularly bad in the West. Um, so yeah, let's just say removal of gunnera and then removal of rhododendrons. That makes more sense. The second wish to removal of rhododendrons. Okay. Okay. So that's wish two. The invasive species are getting it thus far. Number three. Yeah. Okay. Three. This is okay. This is a silly one, but I'm going to go with it. I have always, since I was a little kid and first went to the dead zoo, uh, that's sorry. That's what everyone in Dublin calls the the (laughs) natural history museum for the international. We're very literal. Um, The natural history museum's Twitter account is at dead zoo. It works. They're great. You should follow them. It is what it says in the tin, I guess. But anyway, so ever since I saw that big skeleton of the Irish elk, you know, the giant elks that are extinct, um, I had this like thing because I did a lot of hill walking that I was going to one day I was going to like happen into some remote valley and I was going to find the last remaining Irish elk. So I'm going to get the Irish elks back. That's my third wish. Oh, that's so lovely. I can see that. I can imagine that those little things you used to imagine as a child. That is just so lovely. That's really cool. OK, we do. We'll do one more. Uh, B. Where in the world would you teleport to first? This is a really boring answer, but I live between Dublin and Ackle, and it's a it's nearly a four hour drive. So I would um 
<laughs> whichever wherever I am to the other so I wouldn't <laughs> run to lads come on with the commute. public transport <laughs> I live in a there's a bus comes to my village um on Thursdays oh adorable oh god that's the end of that sentence wow okay yeah yeah all right okay come on Ireland now we need to get our public transport okay so you'd go between Dublin and Ackle hey you have to you gotta live this is all all yeah. about functional. and and great reduction of my carbon footprint mm-hmm yeah so we need to get the science into teleportation please because like yeah it's clearly the best mode of transport um brilliant Orla I have enjoyed this chat so much I have learned uh loads and realized I have still so much yet to learn so absolutely thank you so much for your time and for all the work that you're doing no no problem thanks for having me on and that was Orla I hope you guys enjoyed that if you listened all the way to this part the end thank you so much um everything that we talked about is linked in the show notes you'll find Native Wonderland Trust there their socials and anything else that Orla mentioned and support them don't forget to check out the Broadleaf podcast as well really recommend that it's lovely to have an Irish podcast about trees and yes please don't forget to rate review share this episode around especially if you're listening this far you're great you're deadly um i'm sending you so much love i hope all is okay wherever you are and you're doing what you can and that is all you can do isn't it and don't forget to give yourself a break when you need it so thank you for choosing another podcast episode of mine don't forget i have loads more of another 50 episodes if you are a new listener check them out and yeah just sharing loads of love with you guys i will be back in two weeks with another episode don't exactly know which one i'm gonna share yet but um yeah i'll uh, update you on my socials as soon as i know so have a lovely day and thank you for listening and i'll talk to you in two weeks bye